to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 1. And the title of the lesson is The Path to Blessing. How many of you would like to be on that path? Yeah. And that's without even knowing what kind of blessing we're talking about, right? We'll take blessing. Now, I'll be very quick to say, if you got your hopes up too high, this is not a study on how you can have everything you want, how you can drive that car you've been longing for, move into a new house, get a boat, all that. That's not the kind of blessing we're talking about. We're actually talking about a much better blessing than that kind of stuff. The world wouldn't think it to be so, but it is true. And that's the blessing of God in our lives, and not just for our lives, but for eternity. You know, we talk about the path, a path. This is not just one of many paths, this is one of two paths. There's only two main significant paths in life that count. The path that leads to life and the path that leads to destruction. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus said, we got to make sure we get on the right path. How do we get on the right path? Nobody knows? We're all in trouble. John. Fasting, praying, and studying on the Word. Fasting and praying and studying on the Word. That's how we get on the path? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> how do we get on the... That's great advice for staying on the path. Yeah, how do we get on the path? By getting saved, to use a spiritual word. Yeah, what did you say, Luz? That's what he said. Okay, yeah. John 3.16. God loved us so much, he didn't want us to go down that other path, so he sent Jesus to die for our sins. So have a relationship with God. Lynn, you got something to add to that? There you go. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's the path. That's right. So when we talk about the path to blessing, even though we're focusing right here at the beginning on the fact of the destination of life and eternal life or to avoid destruction, this path of blessing is not just we've got to get on the right path so we can be blessed when we die, okay? The good news is that there's blessings to be had all along the way, all right? But as I said before, it's not just giving you everything that you want, but if we truly understand the way things really are, it's a much greater blessing than even if we got everything that we think that we want. The path we travel does not just bring us to an eternal destination of destruction or life, it has a great effect on the life that we continue to live as we're traveling that road, okay? So we're looking at Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. We're just going to read the whole thing all the way through and then jump into our study tonight. It says, blessed is the man, and please keep in mind, I think most of you know this, that when the Bible says man or whatever, it's all-inclusive, mankind, but... It isn't just all mankind. This is specific. It's saying each man, each person, each woman, all right? Not just as a group. But blessed is the man or woman 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a river, it's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right. So we're going to jump into this. And first of all, we want to talk about the path of blessing. And the path of blessing is described in verses 1 through 3. And it starts out with blessed is the man. Now, we've been talking about blessing. And I said it's not the kind of blessing of you're going to get whatever you want. What kind of blessing are we talking about? Maybe those of you that have a little more knowledge of the Bible and the way the word is used in the Bible. When the Bible uses the word blessed or blessing, okay, and by the way, in the English it says blessed is the man, but in the Hebrew it's actually plural. And there was a sort of like saying, oh, the blessings, oh, the many blessings, the abundant blessings of the one, all right? So... Um, what does that mean? You know, Jesus said something similar too. In fact, on your note sheet, I, I put down to compare it with Matthew 5, 3 to 12. We're not going to read that, but that's the Beatitudes, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, blessed are the humble, blessed are these all these people. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about it? What does God mean when he says, talks about being blessed? Vida. So God's favor on our life, and that favor is impacted by the way we live our life. Now, God gives favor actually to all people, you know, it's called common grace. You know, if it wasn't for God's common grace, we'd all be in terrible shape, everybody in the world. But, you know, the, you know, the Bible talks about how God pours the rain on the just and the unjust. There are certain things that he just does for everybody. But there are those things that he does for his followers, for his children. And that is impacted by the way we live our lives and how we walk in obedience. That's going to be one of the points that we make. But so the idea of blessed is, includes God's favor on our lives. Um, as you gave testimony to you, his protection, his guidance, his leading, that kind of thing. All right. Verse, I saw your hand too. What else would you include in that idea of blessedness or blessing? God's goodness toward us. The, 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 the spiritual words are his mercy and his grace. Chad. It's a great illustration. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to repeat all that for the recording, but I am going to summarize the best parts of it for me anyway. And that is that the favor of God, because if we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, he's our father and he's a good, good father. And he wants to bless his children. You know, James says that God is the, is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And Jesus taught how a good father will give good things to their children. If it's a, a child asks for, you know, bread, he's not going to give him a rock or whatever. But it is conditional upon our behavior to some degree. Um, but God loves us. Jeff, I'm going to take your comment, then we're going to move on, or we'll just spend the whole rest of the night on this definition. But go ahead. That's right. Part of God's blessing, which we don't see it that way, is discipline. You know, the more mature we are, the more we recognize that when God disciplines us, we don't like it, but it's a blessing because it keeps us from going off the cliffs. You know? All right. So um, the way the word has been described in some of the 
study that I've done is uh, the idea of blessing in the Bible includes happiness, being fortunate, serene, confident, peaceful, joyful, soul satisfied. I like that one, soul satisfied, okay, and contented. And it's not necessarily tied to circumstances. The good thing is you can be going through some tough stuff and still experience God's blessing and sense that and believe that. And as a result of that, have his joy and his peace, even though everything's going crazy all around you. Okay? So what are some descriptions of this path to blessing or some conditions, perhaps, or some things that um, influence this path to blessing? As we look at the text, first of all, we see that the person who's on this path opposes the way of the world opposes the way of the world. If we want to be on this path and stay on this path and experience the blessing God has for us, we need to be opposed to the way of the world. We see this in verse 1 where it says, blessed is the, I'm just going to say the one, the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Okay? Now, a lot of Bible scholars, including myself, see kind of a progression here. All right. The words that are used, you've got walk, and then you've got stand, and then you've got sit. All right. Um, when you think about the idea of walk, you know, we've talked about this before, for those of you that might remember. In the Bible, when it talks about somebody walking, unless they're literally talking about them walking, what does that mean, somebody's walk? Their lifestyle. Yeah, their life. John talks a lot about that. You know, we need to walk with the Lord. Um, we need, you know, walk as Jesus walked. It's talking about live the life. And so when it talks about someone who is walking in the counsel of the wicked, what would that seem to indicate to you? What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? What did you say, Amanda? In bad company? Okay. And how does that influence us? Yeah, you become like the people you spend a lot of time with, right? Yeah, that would apply to all three of these. Yeah, Chris? Okay, so what's that got to do with this verse, Chris? Oh, I got you. Okay, so following what the world says rather than what God says about something. I just didn't understand the reference you made. Okay, all right. So, you know, the counsel, a person's counsel, that's their worldview. That's their teaching. That's their, their, their ethics, their morals. And so the first part about walking in the counsel of the wicked, it means you're basing your life or at least allowing your life to be greatly influenced by worldly viewpoints, worldly ethics, worldly morals, um, worldly ideas, okay? And then stand in the way of sinners. I, I kind of look at it this way. You, you kind of walk in and you're with somebody for a while, then you go a different direction. But when you're standing, it's like you're more settled. You're more attached. You're more, you're like, okay, we're really getting into this conversation now. We're really having an impact on one another. We we identify with one another. There's, there's more of a loyalty, more of a conviction, okay? And um, then it says, sit in the seat of the market. If you sit down with somebody, that's even more than just standing with them. Because, I mean, it's like, I'm settled. We're together. We, we have relationship. We are um, in fellowship with one another. And so you see almost a bit of a progression here. And I think the idea of the progression is so important to notice because so many times we, if we're not careful, we can get in trouble just by starting out with little things. You know what I'm saying? And then if we're not aware of that, then it gets deeper, more strong, uh, stronger. Uh, we become more attached. We become more influenced. And before we know, like, how in the world did I get here? Well, it was just one little thing after another after another. It got stronger and stronger and stronger. And so if we were to summarize this uh, on your note sheet, I have this. This is someone who doesn't follow the crowd. 
We don't follow the crowd. Norris. It's more than we're saying yeah, so it reminds you of Lot. Does it remind you of Lot because it's on the note sheet? Does it remind you of not Lot because it's on the note sheet? <laughs> you didn't see it on the note sheet. It's actually on the note sheet. Okay, <laughs> That's good. You got the answer without even seeing the note sheet. No, that's a great example of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And God had so blessed Abraham and his nephew Lot that they couldn't even live close to each other anymore because they both had so many flocks and herds and all that kind of stuff. They had to separate from one another. And, and Abraham says, hey, listen, you know, Abraham was very nice. He says, look at it. You decide where you want to go, and I'll go someplace else. And Lot looked out, and he saw that this particular area was really, 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 really good for flocks and herds and stuff, but it was really close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's the direction he went. And if you follow, we're not going to read the verses on your note sheet, but if you follow that, in Genesis um, 13, verses 10 to 13, is this, the passage that talks about them. And it says that Lot moved toward Sodom, okay? Um, it's, it says he moved as far as, the New International Version says he moved near to Sodom. But then when you get a chapter later, it tells another story about Lot, and now he's not just kind of toward them, he's actually living inside Sodom. And then when you get to chapter 19, it says he's sitting in the gate, which we have a harder time to understand that. But in their culture, the gate was a big deal. It was the entrance to the city. That's where all the leaders were. That's where all business took place. That's where all official decisions were made. So it seems like he's actually become part of either part of the leadership of the city, um, although the Bible says he was still a godly man, or he was there with the leaders of the city. Okay, and of course, if you follow the story of Lot, there was a lot of problems that came out of that. Not just the fact that the place where he was was going to be destroyed because of their sinfulness, but the effect that that had on his family and his descendants and everything is just terrible. But it's a good picture of how little things can become bigger things and bigger things and bigger things. And Jesus even talked about that. He says, you know what? God says don't commit adultery. He says, but it starts with a small thing like lust. So get a handle on your lust. And the Bible says don't commit murder. But that starts with just a simple attitude of anger that's not dealt with properly. And so we've got to watch those little things. Yeah, Chad. Yes, the whole foundation of addiction. You start with little bit things and keep on going, keep on going. So we're talking here about being influenced by the world. All right, so just to kind of summarize it, if we want to be on this path of blessing and experience all of God's blessing for us, not just in our destination, but as we go through this life, we've got to be very, very careful about how we allow the world to influence us, okay? We don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't stand in the way of sinners. Now, we should stand in the way of sinners like, hey, you're headed toward hell and Jesus loves you. We don't want you going there. But, you know, the other way of looking at it, the way we talked about here, okay, or sit in the seat of scoffers. All right. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't have any kind of relationship with people that aren't believers? No. So how do we balance that? We don't want to be influenced by the world, which is going to primarily come through people. Not totally, but primarily. Okay. But the Bible also says we need to be out there with them to be salt and light. So how do we balance that? Yeah, understanding why we are involved in the relationships. You know, um, I've heard this many times through the years of people trying to justify or excuse doing certain things. Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. He did. But he didn't hang out with sinners to participate in their sin. He hung out with sinners specifically to reach them. Lynn, I saw your hand up. Did you have something to add to that? Yes, I was thinking about unbelievers. 
That's right. We need to use whatever spiritual maturity and wisdom, godly wisdom that we have to be very careful about our relationships with unbelievers, okay? Um, I remember as a youth pastor talking to young people many times, but it applies to all of us. We just think that the young people are the ones that are mostly affected by the world. We're fooling ourselves if we think that's true, okay? And it's like, well, how much attachment, how much relationship can I have with somebody who's not a Christian, blah, blah, blah? And I always said it always comes down to who's influencing whom, Okay? As long as you're having a positive influence on them without them having a negative influence on you, you're good. But if you're in relationship with someone, and by the way, this is not an excuse to get a divorce or anything like that, okay? But if you, if you, as long as you're in a relationship with someone and they can be the worst sinner in the world and it's not affecting your Christian walk, that's fantastic. But if you find yourself in a relationship and all of a sudden you're finding that they're dragging you down and they're pulling you, you know, then you need to pull back. You know, so you got to use wisdom and maturity to determine that because we are to be in the world. It's been unfortunate that all through history, I'm sure, okay, because you hear of monks that go live in the desert to get away from sin and sin, sinful people and stuff like that. And then you read that they have just as much trouble with temptation as if they're around people because it starts in here, right? But, you know, you, you, you read history of people who decided to just totally and completely withdraw from the world, um, even as groups of people. Or you just see it where people say, well, I'm just going to go to church and I'm going to make sure I get a job at a place that's mostly Christians. And they never really have that, imp- that, that impact. And that's not what God calls us to do. So we have to use some material. But here's what's, another thing that's very, very important. It is not just people that influence us. It's not just people that can get us caught up in the counsel of the wicked or the seed of the scoffers, you know, or the way of sinners. Okay, I mean, back then, it's like if you were going to get in trouble and have a bad influence, it's because you probably were hanging around with the wrong people. Nowadays, that's not so. Back then, they didn't have TV, radio, internet, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. There are so many other ways that we can be totally, completely isolated from people and still having all the world's values and everything else being poured into our heads. So we can't, as Christians, say, well, I'm good to go because I don't hang out with non-Christian people except for every once in a while when I get a chance to witness. We've got to guard our eyes and our ears and again, use wisdom, like Liam was talking about, godly wisdom and maturity to determine what am I going to allow into my head. And because once it comes into our head, it's going to come into our heart. And it can have just as much influence as if we're hanging out with the wrong people. We may never hang out with the wrong people, literally, but we can hang out with the wrong ideas, the wrong philosophies. Yeah, Bert. Plus, uh, I think um, I want to live the mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great uh, practical advice. Prayer in God's word, which is what strengthens our relationship with him. See, the stronger we are with God, the less we'll be influenced by other people. It's interesting. Prayer is not mentioned in this psalm, but God's word is. In fact, that's where we're headed next. But before we do that, let me just say this. What we need to do is like any other area of life. We need to eliminate as much bad input as possible and put in as much good input as possible. Okay, And that leads into the second part is that if we want to be on that path, we need to be someone who, number two, embraces the way of God's world uh, word. We're going to oppose the way of the world, but embrace the way of God's word. Verse two, it says, but 
his or her, this person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, please understand, by law, it's not talking about a list of rules and regulations, or like we think of traffic laws or laws of the land or whatever. God's law, the word for law, literally is teaching and instruction. It includes rules and regulations and that kind of stuff, but it's all of God's instructions, all of God's wisdom. So basically it says that your delight is in God's wisdom, all right? And um, so anyway, we seek guidance for life and we apply it from God's word, which is just the opposite of seeking advice for life and applying it from the world or the world system that's opposed to God. And we see it means just two things. First of all, it says it delights, or he, she, delights in God's word. If we delight in something or someone, how does that delight affect us as far as our relationship with that person? If you really delight in someone, what's your relationship going to be like? It's going to be good. What are you going to do? What would you say, Amanda? You want to be around them. You want to spend time with them. I mean, you, do you remember that first love? Okay. Hopefully he's like, no, that's been so long ago. No. Hopefully you still got some of that. I mean, if that person's still in your life, right? And you want to be with them. You want to spend time with them. You want to interact with them, right? That's the way we should be with God's word. Right? We want to spend that time with God's word, in God's word. Yes, Vita. Yeah, that's a great correlation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, one of the most famous, well-known scriptures for the Jewish people is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You love him with all your Lord, uh, all your mind, soul, body, and strength, whatever. And it says you need to talk about this and do this all day long, every day, you know. I mean, that's the paraphrase, you know. In your house, on your gates, when you go out, you're walking down the road and teach it to your children and whatever you're going through. And so our interaction with God's word should be all the time. And so that's one thing I really encourage people. You know, sometimes... People really struggle spending time in God's Word and getting into a good, solid daily habit doing that. And there's a number of reasons for that. One, it used to be because people that didn't read well or had a hard time reading could. But nowadays, you can watch it. You can listen to it. You don't, that's not an excuse anymore. All right. But the other thing is you've got an enemy that's going to do everything he can to keep you out of God's Word. And there are parts of God's word that are more difficult to understand, but go ahead, just stick with the ones that are easier to understand. And the more and more you read, the more you grow, the more you learn, the more you'll understand. Be involved with other people in the study of God's word. And, um, you know, that's one of the things we're supposed to, iron sharpens iron. We encourage and challenge and teach one another. That's why teaching is one of the gifts of the church. And so be involved. Delight in God's word. And if you don't have a delight, pray, God, give me a delight. Give me a hunger, you know, for your word. And then just start out and 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 uh, uh, do the best you can, and that will grow. Yeah, Chad. Yeah. I would love to see that study, to, to repeat for the recording, that there's been a study done that the more you spend in God's Word or regularly, four times a week, or whatever, it really helps with addictive behaviors and lifestyles and such. Okay, if you find it, let me know. Yeah. Chris, I see your hand. I'm going to take your comment. Then we've got to go on. Go ahead. God spoke to you about it, huh? Yeah. All right. And that brings us to the next point here. That he, the, the, this person doesn't only delights in God's word, but meditates on God's word. What does it mean to meditate? Take to take your time to read it slowly, right, Chris? And to think about it. You know, meditation in some circles anyway has gotten a bad rap because of Eastern meditation. All right, and 
the Bible talked about meditation long before all that stuff. All right, meditation basically just means to really think about something, to to spend time digging in, um, discovering the meaning, and trying to learn how to apply it. All right. Yes, Carlton. Uh huh. That's right. It's often been compared to a cow uh, chewing its cud. You know, I'm glad we don't eat that way, but the illustration works, right? Okay. All right. But it says that he meditates on the law day and night. And that indicates to us that we're immersed in it. We're influenced by all um, all the times. Okay? You know, I like to use the illustration. How often and regularly do you like to eat? (laughs) You know, we like to eat every day. Chances are several times a day. And that's kind of the way it is with God's word. Um, Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, when God said it was time for Joshua to take over for Moses. Um, he was encouraging him. He had been trained well, but he was, it seems to indicate that he was a little fearful of his abilities to lead God's people, and God spoke to him. And part of that is in verses 7 and 8 of Joshua chapter 1. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So when we meditate on God's word and it's in our lives on an ongoing daily throughout the day basis, it guides us, it leads us, it empowers us. And we can have success. We can have prosperity. Again, not by the world's definition, but by God's definition. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, refers to some people that I love. I'm looking forward to meeting them in heaven. People that lived in Berea, a place that Paul went to. And it says that he preached to them. And it said that now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so says that when Paul came to teach them, to preach to them, that they were eager to hear, but they didn't just accept it, hook, line, and sinker. They studied it for themselves. All right? John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To abide means to remain, to live. If you abide someplace, you know, you live there. So you live in his word. So, we can't, but we got to be very careful to understand that it doesn't mean that just as long as we love God's word and spend a lot of time reading it and studying it and meditating on it, we can live however we like. No, because all these things talk about that the impact of that is that it changes our life. All right? It changes our life. And that's the last thing I have on your note sheet under number two is that obedience is the path to God's blessing. And that's a theme that's all through God's word. And that goes back to some of the things that were said at the very beginning when Vito was mentioning that God loves to bless his people and do good for them and stuff. But, you know, some of it is conditional on our behavior, too. And that does impact it to some degree. Number three here about um, um, the path to blessing, okay? Um, It results in abundant life, fruitfulness, stability, and strength. Verse 3, it says, This person, he, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he or she does, he or she prospers. Love this beautiful picture, okay? I've always loved the outdoors, 
but just the idea of this big old tree by this body of water sitting in the shade the temperature's just right you know some good food a good book or something anyway um that's the way i look at it but it says he's just like a tree and, and this picture would be even more meaningful for people of their day because they lived in a place where it was mainly desert or dry ground you know that kind of thing water was scarce and to have a tree that bears fruit you never have to worry about it drying up and dying you know um it says that he is planted, and it's 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 a chosen, cultivated, secure in its position by streams of water. Um, the original word there um, can also mean canals. In other words, they they've been formed deliberately to bring water to it, so the water's not going to dry up because water is being brought to it. Um, it. Yields its fruit in its season, productivity, usefulness, prosperity. Okay, the leaf does not wither, um, and all he does, he prospers. Now, it doesn't mean that we never have any problems. But we can have peace and security in the midst of those problems. I have on your note sheet Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. Um, God used this picture with Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Um, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Um, now, the opposite is the path to judgment, the path we want to avoid. Verses 4 and 5. Um, it says, the wicked are not so. That is very succinct. It says, basically says, all this stuff we just said about these other people, just the opposite. Okay? It's the opposite. Um, it basically, does all the opposite of the things of the person who is trying to follow the right path. On your note sheet, we're going to go through this a little bit quicker. We're starting to run out of time here. But number one, they embrace the way of the world. Embrace the way of the world. Okay. And number two, opposes the way of God's word. There's just the opposite of the two under the one who's walking on the path to blessing. Embraces the way of the world and opposes the way of God's word. And we see the result in verse 4. It results in death and worthlessness. Death and worthlessness. Right after it says, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. I want you to know something. The psalmist compares the righteous, those who are trying to follow this path that God's put before them, as an abundant, fruitful, healthy tree. But he does not compare the wicked to a dead tree or a withering tree or you know anything like that. A barren tree, it's like chaff. What's chaff? Everybody's saying, what would you say, Verissa? It's something very light that the wind can blow away. Okay, We may not be as familiar with it, but when you have wheat or barley or whatever, the kernel is what you eat, but it's covered by this very thin skin. It's called chaff. And part of the process was to winnow it, which you, you would kind of put some pressure on it, toss it up in the air so the wind would blow the chaff off of it so you'd have the, the, the just the clean kernel. We can probably relate to it if you like nuts. I don't mean people. I'm talking about like, you know, if you can think of the shell of a nut. And I was thinking of a peanut shell. But it's even more so than that. How many of you, if, if you've ever shelled your own peanuts but it's got this little skin on it, and if you really want the peanut to taste good, you take that little skin off, and that skin is just little flimsy, and it's worthless, and you... You know, and that's kind of what the chaff is. It's worthless. It's worthless. It's not. Okay, there may be. Okay, for you health nuts that discover some health benefit to it, just forget that for this illustration, okay? Anyway, but real chaff 
of grain is worthless, okay? Even cattle won't eat it. It's dead without substance, and it's easily carried away. And that's what it says the wicked are like. You compare that to this abundant tree. That's the vast difference. Number four, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When it says they will not stand in the judgment, it means when they get to the judgment seat, they will not be able to stand. Hold their head up like, I'm good. It's like, no, I failed. I failed. And will not, um, uh, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Whereas at the end of time when the righteous, and again, we're only righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. But we are the righteous, and we can stand before God in confidence because of what Jesus did. But the wicked will not be able to do that. The last thing on your note sheet, we've got to wrap this up, is the destination. We see that in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Number one, the way of the righteous is known by the Lord. Not just the way, but the righteous themselves. And the word for know there means to know intimately, to, to have a deep, abiding relationship and as far as God is concerned, to be watching and guiding and guarding and keeping. God's eye is upon us and his ear is open to us and his spirit abides within us. And then number two, the way of the wicked leads them to destruction. Leads them to destruction. The way of the wicked will perish. I came across this quote years ago. I love it. It says, the righteous are carved in rock. The wicked are written in sand. The righteous are carved in rock. The wicked are written in sand. Now, we do need to wrap this up, but I just want to deal with one thing. Sometimes we may find that as believers, we really struggle with relating to this picture in verse 3. A tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit, and you know this idea of abundance and prosperity. And if we really struggle with that because it's like, I don't really relate to I don't really feel like my life is like that. We need to examine our hearts because chances are we may not be aggressively living verses 1 and 2. We're not guarding our hearts and our minds from the world. Okay, we're not being careful about what we get in. We're being more influenced by the world than God's word. And so we've got to be very, very careful about that. Maybe we're not spending time in God's word as we should. So that would be the first step to take if we can't really relate to the tree planted by streams of water. All right. So as we wrap this up, we've got these two ways. Which path are we on? And how well are we doing on that? And the good news is there's always opportunity for change until you die. You can read it later, but I've got on your note sheet 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. And Paul's basically saying, don't you know that unrighteous people aren't going to make it at the end? I'm paraphrasing here. He says, don't be deceived. And he gives this long list of sinful activities that people are involved in and all that kind of stuff. He says, these people aren't going to make it to the kingdom of God. He says, but you know what? You guys were those kind of people. But Jesus saved you. It's never too late until we die. He ends it by saying, such were some of you, but you were washed You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, as we wrap this all up, I think it would all do some benefit to look at our lives and say, how are we being influenced by the world? And how are we being influenced by God's Word? And do we have that in alignment the way it needs to be? Because it makes a tremendous impact on the life we live and the blessings of God in our life. Vita, you've had your hand up, so I'm going to let you make a comment before we pray, but yours is the only comment, so you're blessed. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And relating it to the 21-day fasting and prayer that we're in, it's, it's all about developing and deepening our relationship with the Lord and seeking Him. And that really is the key. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It's not like i got to spend a certain amount of time in prayer and i got to read a certain number of chapters in the Bible. I mean, those things are significant that we spend that time. It's all about developing that relationship. All right, good note to end on. Father, thank you for the time that we've had tonight to study this first psalm and to look at how the impact, uh, look at the impact it might have on our lives. God, uh, probably just about everybody here, maybe everybody here tonight would say, yeah, I really, I really want to have a close relationship with God. I want to do the right thing. I want to live for him. I want to have the blessed life, Lord, the one that you have for us because we want to spend eternity with you and experience everything you have for us in this life. God, as we realize even more tonight, how does that happen? It comes from deepening our relationship with you, spending time with you, spending time with your word, being very careful about the pressure and the influence of the world in our lives. God, help us to make wise decisions, Lord God, so that we can grow and be that abundant tree planted by the water, bearing fruit, making a difference in other people's lives too. We didn't even talk about that, Lord. The fruit's for other people, but that other people might benefit from the fruit in our lives. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, Go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.